All right. Well, well, Paul, our first experiment with a live podcast recording is going well so far. I had, I had like a 15 minutes of futzing around with stuff, despite the best intentions. But here we are. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Paul Tchaikovsky. Uh, I... What do you want to know about me? Uh, I'm originally from Australia, as you can tell from the accent, but I live in Austin, Texas. Uh, what did they say? I wasn't born in Texas, but I got there as fast as I could. That's right. And then I got stuck there and I couldn't leave. So uh, we're here in Charlotte at the, the spring, spring One Tour. I always want to say Spring Tour. And uh, I, I wanted to take this opportunity. We can talk about Kubernetes and spring and exciting things like that, that you know more about than me. But first, you told me you had a really good hamburger last night. Right around the corner. Yeah, I did. Well, actually, at lunch today. Oh. I, uh, I skipped the chicken masala, uh, and I ran across to a place called Cowbell, just around the corner, and I had an amazing hamburger. Yeah? So it was a, it was a hamburger, and it had foie gras on it, which immediately is, is a win in my book. But then they had this, like, orange marmalade uh, and a uh, quite a, a tart... Um, uh, Mustard, like a horseradishy mustard. Mm. And so both those two things kind of cut through the richness of the foie gras, so it made it a lot more uh, delicious. And then they served it with these sweet potato tots that they had uh, dusted in this, like, cinnamon sugar mix. Uh-huh. So it was, like, somewhere between tots and donut holes. Kind of like a, like a potato beignet. Right, exactly. Huh. Uh, and then we had a chia wine uh, float. And so chia wine is a, uh, it's a cherry soda, I think. Oh, I had some of that at lunch. Yeah. Not yeah, a yeah. float. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And it may have had a little bit of cherry brandy in it as well. But, uh, you know, it's a work day, so we didn't go too Right. Much. There's, a, there's a content enhancer. Exactly. That's right. All right. What's it called? Cowbell? Cowbell. Yes. Yeah. Because right. you always need more cowbell in your life. That's right. All right. Well, uh, we got that covered. That's the important stuff. So you've been writing a series recently about how to do like a spring and spring boot in Kubernetes, right? Yes, I have. Yeah, and how long is the series going to go on? Um, until I figure it out or I get bored, whichever happens first. Um, so <laughs> well, I'm coming. Honest. Yeah, I'm coming at it from a couple of different angles. One is I am I've never written a line of Java in my life. Uh-huh. Actually, that's not true. Uh, as of earlier this month, I wrote a. Uh, a patch for uh, Halyard, uh, which is part of the Spinnaker tooling. Uh, so I now have one line of code that I wrote in Java, and hopefully sometime in the next 12 months I'll actually accept that pull request. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Because, you know, that's always a thing. You contribute to open source, and then you wait and see for if someone to actually review out. it and merge it in. Huh. All right, so, so what is that even, like, what, what are the concerns if you're deploying, like, a Spring Boot app to Kubernetes? Like, what are you... Uh, I got, a, I got a command prompt here, and I've set up some Kubernetes thing. Right. I mean, is that, or is that jumping the gun? Is well, I mean, the, the first thing you need to do is actually get your Spring app inside of a Docker container, right? Inside of a ah, Docker image. Right. Uh, and it's not necessarily obvious on how to do that. Um, ordinarily, you would have a Docker file sitting in your code repo, and it would say, like, from Java, run some commands, and magic happens, and your application is now inside the uh, container. Mm. Um, what I found with Java is often uh, people are expecting you to have already built the jar file uh, and then inject it into the Docker image versus the have it compile itself inside the Docker image. Uh, and there's some tools uh, that actually oh, do right. that that do that for you. And so you don't even need you don't need a Docker file, you don't need anything. You just say, uh, hey um, Maven, make me a Docker image. 
And there's a tool from Google called Jib, J-I-B. Uh, and there's a couple of tools from, I think it's Spotify, um, that will either help build one from a Docker file or without one, or without a Docker file. And it just like takes source and compiles it for you or it takes your already built? Yeah, it, it takes your source. It, uh-huh. Like you do Maven install or you right, add right. some Maven commands and it will do basically build it for you. Uh, the interesting thing with the Google one is it will actually build you a Docker image without you needing Docker on your computer. Mm, right. um, which, I mean, I, I have Docker on my laptop, so it wasn't a big deal. But it means I can build my images in a CI system that doesn't have a reliance on Docker. I see. Uh, and so one of the CI systems I've been playing with lately is uh, Drone.io. Uh, and they're in the middle of uh, rebuilding that on top of Kubernetes, with Kubernetes being the, like the engine for running the actual CI tasks. Oh, right, right. And so ordinarily, if you want to build a Docker image inside of a Kubernetes pod, you have to either allow privileged mode, so you can run Docker in Docker, or you need to map your Docker socket from the host into a container, both of which have some spurious um, security concerns. Mm-hmm. Whereas using this tool, I just don't need Docker at all. And so it will build it into a Docker image, and then it will upload it to the Docker registry without needing Docker on right. it. Because really, a, a, Docker, a Docker image is a tarball with files in it. Yeah. And so you can just untar that, throw some more stuff in it, tar it up again in the right format, and yeah. you've got an image. And, and so, so it seems like the assumption of, of like Docker and Kubernetes then is like, you're going to give me a, a pre-made Docker image. Exactly. And, and hence all these exciting workarounds to like not do that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's, that may change a little bit as you know, Knative uh, is a, a newish thing in Kubernetes that has some tooling for building images. And so that might help with that a little bit. Um, but it's probably going to use the same tooling under the hood as I'm doing manually anyway. So, you know, I, I, whether it's me or uh, Kubernetes doing it, there's still something doing the build of your image right, right. before you can run it. And, and then so you get the thing built there and, and, uh, or you get it in there and then what? Like how do you like run it? All right, so I've got my image built. I've pushed my image to a Docker registry so that my Kubernetes cluster can then get it. Uh-huh. And then if it's like a Hello World app, I can, I can do kubectl run, give it a name, and point at my image, and that's enough to get it running. Okay. Um, but it's probably not a Hello World app in real life. It's probably got you know, some config files that need to be modified. Like, yeah, the pet store you were using. Exactly, right? yeah, the yeah. pet store, uh, some other stuff. Uh, and so with the pet store, uh, it's, it's still a fairly basic app, but it's got, uh, it's got, it needs a database. And so you can use an in, in-memory database or you use like an external MySQL. Um, and then it has a bunch of config settings that you can expose, um, you know, to change like, you know, the MySQL host um, and stuff like that. And you can do those via environment variables, um, which you basically capitalize like spring underscore blah, blah, blah. And you basically uh, simulate the, um, application.yaml or uh, parameters.xml or whatever mm-hmm. the, that file is you use to right, right. tell Java apps. Like you said, you're only using some program. Exactly. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm, and so, um, and so you, environment variables. And that's enough to get like your app running. Uh, what's interesting though is sort of Spring uh, adopted a lot of the th- things that came out of Netflix for like service discovery um, for like doing a con- a con- an external configuration server um, and things like that. And so Spring has these adapters to tie into uh, those services 
Well, Kubernetes provides ways to do that those as well. Mm. And so there's a Spring Cloud Kubernetes um, project that basically will let you just automatically use the Kubernetes versions of those things. Okay. So okay. in your uh, in your pom.xml file, if you're a Maven fan, uh, which I'm, I'm still learning, uh, I didn't realize that in January in 2019 I would be writing handwriting XML files, but you know here we are. Um, if uh, if one of our Java devs in the room, Mark Heckler, would like to uh, rewrite it so that we can use like a pom.yaml file, that would be amazing. If you could if you could send that up to Maven, I'm sure they would happily uh, take that for us. Do, do they still use DTDs in XML? I don't know what that is. Okay, good. Probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, so anyway, you put this like four-line thing into your pom.xml to say I've got a dependency on Spring Cloud Kubernetes, and then if you deploy it to Kubernetes, um, they'll automatically get like service discovery. So any uh -huh. uh, services or pods that it should know about, it just asks uh, Kubernetes right, for right. the host names and IP addresses. Okay, okay, Kubernetes already knows those things. So then you can be like, is this the right granularity? Then your 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 Pet store or music, your store can mm -hmm. be sort of like pod aware, right? Exactly. Right, right. Yeah, okay. so if, it's, uh, if it needs a MySQL backing store yeah. and I'm running MySQL in my Kubernetes cluster, I don't need to like give it an IP address for you my... You have to figure it out. Right? I just need to say, I need you to go to my MySQL service. Okay, okay. Um, and then I can use a config map or a secret, both which are Kubernetes constructs, um, which are basically key value pairs that Kubernetes keeps track of. Um, to configure my my app as well, and so uh, assuming the config map is named correctly in the right nomenclature, uh, the app will read those config maps and say, "Okay, these are the config settings to use for the app." So I can put my right. MySQL server name, uh, my username, my database name into a config map, uh -huh. and I can put my password into a secret, and it will automatically load those things up when I start the app. Okay. So I don't need to be like hand rolling. Uh, uh, a, a YAML file to stick in the container. I don't need to be like putting in like 15, 20 different environment variable lines. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. just stick it all in a config map and have it actually just read from it, uh, which is super interesting. I haven't tested uh, how it handles like when you modify the config map. Uh, and so that's oh, right. my next... have to like redo stuff. Right. I know with the, uh, the spring um, external configuration, I think you send it some sort of like... Uh, an API call to to an actuator to tell it to reread re its config. Right, right. And so I don't know if I'll have to do that or uh, so. Um, that's that's probably uh, not the next blog post, but the one after. Um, right now, I'm just uh, first of all explored how to just get like a basic app up and running. So by using like the Kubernetes imperative commands like kubectl run and kubectl expose uh, to get the app up right. and running. Um, my next post will probably be about, okay, now let's actually write some Helm charts. Mm. Uh, and I'm writing a, a basic Spring Helm chart with the idea that most Spring apps have this very similar set of characteristics. Yeah. So I can have one Helm chart that will deploy most Spring apps. Right. Um, and then from there, I'll probably then get onto config maps and service discovery and some of the other tighter integrations. So, so then to recap, we got a store. An application that's a story you can yes. find pets or music or whatever, uh, and and you're gonna want to like compile that as like a Spring Boot app, I guess, or, right. or whatever a exactly. Spring app. 
Now, 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 right there, you can either compile it on your own and build your own Docker image, mm-hmm. and then you stick that in a registry, and then you use your your kubectl stuff to basically have that run in a pod somewhere. Yep. And then, and then, uh, but then there's a variation there where basically you could say like, I want the the build pipeline to build this thing for me. I don't want to have to create the image on my own, or I'm not allowed to create the image. Exactly. On my own. And yeah. then, and then once you get that, so then that gets deployed into your pod. And then after that, you're basically like, now within the, the Kubernetes cluster, I need this database. So I need some way of passing through from my XML or YAML file, ask for the, the store database, and then that, that will get injected into your Kubernetes name value store somewhere. I'm doing a lot of hand-waving. Yes. And, uh, but then if you've included this spring for Kubernetes wingding, that knows how to go up to Kubernetes and stay and say, "Tell me the database," and then it basically jams that in for you instead of having to pass in all those environment variables on your own. Yes, it's like you actually listened to me. Your <laughs> eyes were glazed over when I was talking, but it was actually being taken in. That's right. That's right. I, I got to work for my paycheck. Otherwise, I wouldn't be listening to you. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so then, so then, like, like, does that? How do you? Well, well, so why am I using Kubernetes in the first place? That's a great question. Um, usually it's because you have some sort of organizational pressure to do so. Um, sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's political. Um, sometimes you're doing it because, you know, the old way of doing things is so bad that mm-hmm. uh, it's worth taking on the pain of, you know, using Kubernetes. So uh, Kubernetes is, is great. Uh, I love using it. But you, like, there's not a lot of point in using Kubernetes for Kubernetes' sake, right? You're, right? If you don't have a set of problems that Kubernetes solves by bringing it into your organization, you're just creating more problems um, and not solving the, the ones you have. So if you find yourself with a set of problems that Kubernetes can be part of the solution to fix... Then that's really when you want to be looking at Kubernetes. And and so so what what are these 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 uh, problems you might have? Oh boy. Well, let me let me, let me be more directed. So, what it, what is a reason you would be using Kubernetes, right? That creates the next thing that you you uh, need to solve when it comes to running Spring in Kubernetes, right? So we've gotten an instance running. Everything's dandy. I assume part of why you want Kubernetes is because of like elasticity. I don't know if the kids say that anymore, but yeah. some sort of like scaling sort of thing. Yeah, so Kubernetes has a lot of good properties for running you know, uh, web scale apps. Right. Um, it handles scaling applications up and down really well. Um, it's really smart about how it uh, deploys them. You know, they're lighter weight than VMs. There's a bunch of things it does. Um, Lost my chain of thought. You better edit this out in post. Oh, that's all right. So you got you got you got your sprint, your store running, right? right. And then and oh, then all, yeah, the, yeah. all of a sudden, I'm doing really well selling pets. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you, like, let's take a step back to before you're running your pet store, like why you're actually going to go to like have Kubernetes there because you're not going to get a Kubernetes just so you can run a pet store, right? You've got a larger endemic problem, um, and often that's around like just. Uh, the amount of toil and the amount of effort and the amount of time it takes to get an application, package it up, and deploy it. Uh-huh. Um, if you have a lot of pain around that and you haven't already made a lot of inroads into solving it using you know, a lot of 
tools and techniques out there in like the SRE and DevOps realms around helping uh, do infrastructure as code, config management, stuff like that. If you haven't yet gotten into those or you're, you've sort of got to the point where you need even more efficiency, um, Kubernetes can help with that because it, the Kubernetes as a platform uh, is, uh, is kind of almost DevOps aware. Like a lot of the things you try and do right, in right. DevOps. It embodies a lot of the patterns it, ex- exactly. and practices you would do. And so, such as what? Um, su- such as like um, building like small atomic scalable units that are easily deployed, easily mm-hmm. updated. Um, if you're using decoupled from each, are decoupled from each yeah, other. Yeah. Like if you're using a Kubernetes deployment, you don't need to like write in any uh, like deployment scripting orchestration. You change the like you update your image in the deployment manifest, and the Kubernetes deployment controller will actually go and perform a rolling upgrade for you. Oh yeah, okay, right. right, right, right and right. so there's a lot of things like that that it removes the toil. And so if you don't already have good practices and automation around that stuff, you can kind of uh, get that stuff um, without. The, this, like the heavy amount of pain you would have gone through before we had to have Kubernetes. Okay, that makes sense. Hence, hence, hence you're, you're wondering for part three, I think you said, of your thing, like if I update my properties, how does that like kick into the thing of like doing an upgrade of everything? Exactly, yeah, because I, I want to look at like, we can run a Spring app in Kubernetes quite easily, but what's an actual like production Spring app? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, I have to be like, it has to respond to changes. It has to be upgradable. It has to be monitored. It has to have logging. Um, there's this new movement around like observability and tracing. So I should probably have some of that. Right. So like, what 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 is all this stuff I I should have to have what would be really considered like a, a production grade um, Spring app? And then what are the what are the things that it gives me? Um, and then also what are the drawbacks? Like what are the things that like every platform has drawbacks? So what are the things I'm going to have to figure out? how to work around. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of the, that's where I'm trying to get to is slowly build my way up to, okay, now I fully understand how uh, to run a Spring app in Kubernetes. Um, you know, as a, as a coming from an ops background, um, a lot of the way, like you, you kind of have to think like the thing you are deploying or the thing you're deploying to, to be able to really deploy it in a production way, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And so that's kind of the, I need to really understand. You have to think how, like your enemy. You have to think like your enemy, right? So I have to really understand how, how Spring, um, the Spring Kubernetes integration works. I have to really understand how Kubernetes works. Uh, and yeah, so that's. And, and then so maybe even the, the simplest thing is like, so then let's say uh, I'm going to upgrade my pet store upgrade. I'm going to add a feature where you can, um, I don't know, in addition to ordering a pet, you can, it'll also uh, suggest food serving bowls. To order with you, so I have to add some new feature, right? And then, and so then, like a recommendation engine, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so like, how do I, how do you envision that gets updated? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the version of the pet store, because it's like eight versions of the pet store now, is different versions of Java and Spring. But there's come out, right? You know, um, and so the version I'm using is kind of the basic one, where it's kind of a monolith. Mm. Um, and so if you're going to add a new feature to it, you'd probably go down that like. Uh, strangler pattern where you like add a new feature as a microservice and oh, right, have like right. a, a proxy in front that knows how to write route the the new the new requests to the new recommendation engine uh-huh. versus okay. the, the the monolith yeah yeah um, and so you would hopefully have a much smaller app that just does that one thing looks at previous purchases 
does some, I don't know, machine learning or whatever, whatever yeah, yeah, it is yeah. they do. Yeah. Uh, to figure but, but, out. Then, but then how would you like deploy it to, right. to the cluster? And so what I would do then is I would probably have a Helm chart or something like a Helm chart uh-huh. specific for that app. And so I would, de- I would deploy that. Um, and that Helm chart would be creating a deployment and a service a config map, those bits and pieces uh-huh. uh, for me. Uh, and then obviously I would then need to go back to the old app and provide any integration points it needs. Like if it needs to now talk to like a rabbit server to uh-huh. get messages across or, right, right. or whatever. So get that integration working. Obviously I'd need to deploy a new version of the pet store with the, uh-huh. the integration points in it. Uh, and then I would probably need uh, an ingress controller or something over the top, which is a thing that's going to determine, okay, you're going to like slash recommendation. So I need to bring, take, right, like, right, right, right. bring it to the recommendation API or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that the right requests go to the right. And, mi- and, and microservice. Does, does Kubernetes help you with like that sort of release thing where like I've got a new version of this pet store thing and then I need to deploy my recommendation engine. And I, I don't know even how you kind of do the topology of that, if that's a word, but like, is it, is that like one of the patterns that's written into it? Yeah. Well, usually you kind of want to consider them to be separate things so that one deployment doesn't rely on the other deployment. Right. 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 And so hence the microservice, exactly. Hence the microservice. That's what that stuff does. If I yeah. That's understand. what that stuff does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I've done my microservices, right. If I've done feature flagging, right. Uh-huh. I shouldn't need to de- like deploy both at the same time with some magical sequence to make it work. Right. I should be able to deploy my recommendation engine. I should be able to validate that it's working and then I should be able to either flip the feature flags in the uh, pet store or deploy the new version of the pet store that has the right bits to then have its side of the integration. Right, 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 right. And then, and then, so if someone's in the middle of like purchasing something from the pet store, mm-hmm. right, and then you're going to add this new recommendation engine, right? Like, does Kubernetes do that so you don't lose that sale? Yeah. So Kubernetes will make sure that the new version of your app is running before it closes down the old version. So Right. And then will it like let someone finish their transaction well, it, of buying something it, or that then gets into like how your app and Kubernetes, like how closely they are, how close they are friend wise, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if there's a like Kubernetes should ask your application to shut down gracefully. And uh, your application should be smart enough to say, hold on. I just got to finish this thing first. About to sell 10 pythons. Right. Right. Um, finish selling 10 pythons uh-huh. clo- and then close itself down. Right. And so assuming that your app will happily gracefully shut down. And that's kind of still part of microservices, right? That's part of the 12 factor. I think There's so. a whole section on graceful shutdowns mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Um, so assuming that's happening. And then also assuming if you're doing some sort of session state, if you're saving that into... Uh, our friends Redis Labs or something like that, so that you're not relying on state on a particular pod's like uh-huh. hard drive or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, then obviously, and in theory, any of the other pods that should be able to just take over the session because the session yeah, that's is right. all sitting in some sort of cache or you know Redis or whatever. Right, right, right. Uh, so, so it seems it seems like a, a, a best sort of easy scenario is following all the like stateless 12 factor stuff, all these processes you're killing never actually hold on to anything. And instead they refer back to the, you know, the magical data source that handles itself. Exactly. Uh, and, and therefore like when you bring down the process that's buying the pythons, 
it just comes down. And when the new one comes up, it's like, oh, here's a Python buying thing. And it just right. resumes doing that. Yeah. And then sometimes it's worth saying, well, you know what? That person will probably reattempt to buy the 10 Pythons if it fails. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, if you wanted 10 Pythons, you're probably going to keep doing it, right? Exactly. Although, I don't know. How many times have you just been about to buy something and something happens and then you have to wait five minutes? You're like, that was a bad idea. That, that is true. That is true. That's, <laughs> there, there is certain, uh, you know, you kind of get the buyer's remorse flashback before you actually yeah. make the buy. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so, so then, uh, why don't you explain before we close out, what's the proper way to cook a hamburger at home? Like, how do you do it? Like, all I know, all right. all I know is you press your thumb in the top of it. But how do, I get, See, like, I, how do you get a restaurant-grade so hamburger? There's two thoughts on making a hamburger. You've got your pub-style hamburger, which is a big, thick meat uh-huh. patty, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you've got your fast-food hamburger, which is like your smash burger. Yeah. Where you're cooking on like a flat surface, and you just like smash the hell out of it. Uh, and I actually prefer the latter, uh-huh. the smash burger the style, because you're getting a lot more surface area attached to that grill, You've got like pockmarks and stuff, and so there's mm. going to be a lot more browning. And it's yeah, going like to be a crispy burger. A crispy burger, delicious. Like Freddy's. And if you that want, place Freddy's exactly like Freddy's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you want a, a thick burger, then just have have four smash burgers between the two pieces of bun, right? <laughs> um, but the thing, the thing that I learned um, when I when when I actually moved to the US is that everywhere outside of the US makes their burgers wrong. And that is you put a bunch of fillers and other crap in there. So, you know, you get your ground meat, you'll add, like, an egg, you'll add breadcrumbs. Wait, we do that in the the U.S. or? No, outside of the U.S. Ah, This is outside of the U.S. Okay, okay, okay. And you basically end up with something that's more of, like, a meatloaf than it is a burger. Right. Right. Whereas in the U.S., you just have your ground meat, you kind of form it into shape, and then you season it right before you cook it. Okay, right Um, Because even even mixing salt through uh, messes with the proteins and Uh kind of kind of binds the meat together and gives you that more meatloaf texture. Okay. And so either pub style or smash burger style, you, you grind your meat, you know, there's, you want, I think it's 20% fat in your meat. Yeah, so there's yeah, certain yeah. cuts that kind of give you that. Um, if you can grind it at home, that's great. A food processor works well for grinding it. If mm. you've got a food processor. Uh, and then if, if you're grinding it yourself, you, you can like, you can cook it like to medium rare and stuff a lot safer than if it's so been sitting is, at the grocery this store. This is the part I always screw up is the cooking part. Right. Now, this, the tip about only season before you're cooking, that's good. Right. And don't put a bunch of eggs and right. biscuits in there. Yeah. But, like, but like, so the cooking, so like what am I in a medium heat? What am I doing here? So I would say start with making smash burgers. Uh-huh. Right. Because you just get your cast iron pan or some sort of flat surface up as hot as you can get. Uh-huh. You put like the, the burger patty on there and then you use like a press or a heavy spatula and you just press it down as hard as you can. Yeah. Uh, and what is that? Like two minutes each side or something? Uh, or yeah, less? exactly. Yeah, like okay. two minutes each side. It's like and fish. It, and it doesn't matter if it's like well done because it's so thin and you yeah, just yeah. bite through it anyway. Right? But then, but then if I've got one of these thick burgers, mm-hmm. how am I going to manage that? Uh, so, uh, kind of the same way your, your, your thumb trick totally works. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as it cooks, it will actually kind of, shrink in and swell up so it'll become like right it's al- almost like yeah it's become taller uh, and so pressing your thumb in can kind of help because it's got to fill in that shape before it grows taller i see um but really just i i like to start on a high heat uh get that first side really going uh-huh. and then turn the heat down when i when i flip it 
Okay. Um, but, you know, it's hard to go wrong. I always like to use a flat surface rather than a, like, grill because you want as much of that meat browned as possible. You like right? a crispy burger. You want a crispy. Yeah. And All so right. the, the, the browning is the flavor. Yeah. Well, that's very helpful. So, so deploy your pet shop and then uh, get your configuration flat surface for a burger. Flat surface for a burger. Okay. That's good. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you. For, uh, being, wait, if, where, do you have a Twitter handle or something? I, I do have a Twitter handle. handle. It is at P. Tchaikovsky. Which is uh, I don't know. You can put it in the in the show notes. It's yeah. hard to hard to spell. I don't know why I've got a stupid hard to spell name, but I do. So I blame my parents. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>